Hello, and welcome to the Music Teacher Coffee Talk podcast. I'm Tanya. And I'm Carrie. We are both elementary music teachers who love to talk shop, preferably over a steaming cup of coffee. This is episode number 110. Today we'll be talking about how to find and land your next teaching position. We'll also share highs and lows from our teaching week, discuss some ideas in our Know Better, Do Better segment, offer a work smarter, not harder teacher tip, and in our CODA section we'll give some specific recommendations of our favorite things we are enjoying in and out of the music room. So grab your beverage of choice and let's get started. Now it is time to share some highs and lows from our teaching week. So, Tanya, what are you thinking about? Well, um, I had a concert. Yay. Yay. What's that? A concert? What's that? I know. (laughs) It's just... So, at my traveling school, um, me and the uh, home base music teacher there, we had our fifth graders do a concert. Now, he teaches three of the fifth grade classes and I teach one, but uh, we still joined together and we had each class do a song independently. And then we had two uh, that they two songs that they all did together. So there's an opener, a closer, and then anyway. So that was, it was wonderful to do a concert again. There were so many parents who showed up. Um, we didn't have enough chairs and that was a good problem. Uh, there's lots of instruments that we used, but honestly, I think the best thing was the next day, which was actually today, um, cause the concert was then, oh yeah, last night, yesterday, last night, <laughs> yesterday, but is, uh, a second, I was outside doing recess duty cause I, I do that at my traveling school and a second grader said, Hey, Miss Lejeune, a second grader that I don't know, I don't teach. And he was like, I know this song my brother taught me and he started singing it to me. Um, and I just. I love, I mean, the, the concert was a high for sure, but I just love that, you know, the big kids are teaching their, their siblings, the music that they learned. And, and that's just the best, isn't it? That's so cute. Yeah. It's, it was adorable. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? Um, I'm going to share a low. There's been some great things going on, but, um, one low that's just really, I don't know. It's just really on my mind and I'm having a hard time letting go is, at my my traveling school, my second school, we have a very, very, very challenging group of kindergartners. And, you know, I just feel like this is the time of year where we just should be enjoying each other and, and reaping the benefits of all the, you know, the structures and routines that I've put into place. And, oh, my gosh, it's just still not happening. And um, I mean, I can take responsibility for things and I know I could do better, but I also know there's some things working against me. It's just a challenging class for everyone. Their classroom teacher is struggling with them too. We all are. There's 25 of them, which I know there's bigger classes out there, but that's a lot for kindergarten. Um, and just some really challenging personalities. And um, it's just it just makes me sad because I love kindergarten so much. And I, I typically look forward to kindergarten. And this year, it's like kindergarten is stressing me out, at least this one particular class. And, you know, things like we we still just struggle to make a circle, not even move in a circle, just make a circle. I use your lovely little circle making song, Tanya, and they know by the time we finish the song, they should be in the circle, joined hands, ready to go. And they're still like running laps around the room and just going a little bit bananas. So, you know, I'm just putting it out there because I know this has been a challenging year management wise with all grades and we all know the the repercussions of COVID and these kids a lot of them not having attended preschool and not being in instructional settings until this year and you know the quote-unquote behindness of the whole thing but um, I'm feeling it right now and it's just bumming me out. I know and I'm I, that's really hard. Our kindergartners are not what I would usually see at this time of year but it's not of course, I say this to myself now, but it's not its not horrible, dreadful, like, oh, no. Um, anyway, I know that your kindergartners have gone through a lot of transitions also this year. They have, so yeah. You've got to keep that in mind. And yeah. above all, like, just understand that they will um, mature. 
Yeah. One and we have, I mean, we'll have a glimmer of hope. Like, we'll have a class that's, like, beautiful. And everything goes really well. And I'm like, okay, here we go. And then the next day I see them, and it's like, we took three steps back again. And it's starting all over with, we keep our hands to ourselves. We do not run around the room grabbing things. We do not gallop around the room and headbutt people you know it's just it's it's all sorts of things so you know it's good days and bad good good classes and bad meaning things go well and they don't and it's just the reality of the thing so if you're like me power through we'll get there (laughs) yeah totally And now it's time for our main theme, get a job. Now, get a job. <laughs> we we have not covered this topic before because honestly, I did not feel qualified because I've had the same position for the last 24 years. Um, so the last time I got a job was in the 90s. <laughs> The very late 90s, but the 90s nonetheless. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we've not really talked about this, but... But? Exciting I, news. Exciting news. I got a new job. And I got a new job. <laughs> Yay! <Woo-hoo! laughs> it's been a crazy couple of weeks for the two of us. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, as to the why, well, um, you know, if you've been listening to this podcast, that both Carrie and I are traveling teachers. So uh, for the past three years, I've been traveling and I go to, I, I have my homeschool for two weeks in a row. And then for the third week, I go to my traveling school. And then after that week, I come back to the homeschool. Um, traveling is a lot. Yeah. And uh, I really miss being at one school all the time. There's lots of benefits to that. Um, So an opportunity opened up and I thought, you know what? I I think I could, I think I could uh, do this. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and same yeah. for me. Um, I've been traveling for the past two years, one year less than Tanya, but it only took two years to realize this is not my, my favorite job situation. Happy with the schools I was at, nothing against the schools I was at. I know same for you, Tanya, but it was yeah. just the opportunity to be full-time one school is um, it's exciting. And so, yeah, we, we're in the same school district. So the, the process of, of transferring over isn't like completely starting over, logistically speaking. Um, but there you go. So having just gone through the job application and interviewing process, we thought it would be a good thing to talk about because we know it's that time of year. Some of you maybe mm-hmm. are already in that process now. But, you know, we just thought we would offer some tips and ideas that came to us as we were going through the process, especially if you're like us, that you have been teaching for a while. And then all of a sudden, now you're interviewing again. That's a different mindset than those of you who are, you know, fresh out of college, you know, more recently and kind of have the whole interviewing thing down a little bit better than we did. Um, You know, we had lots of conversations off mic getting ready for interviews, and we just thought we might as well share them on mic now that we can officially say. Yeah, they were successful to some extent that we Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and in full, um, in transparency, uh, the job that that I have now that I just um, interviewed for uh, is my traveling school. So the music teacher at the school that I've been traveling to uh, was on a temporary contract and decided to pursue other teaching opportunities. And so that position was open and I know a third of those students. And I've been in that community for the last two years, you know, even though it hasn't been full-time being in that community. So that was just a really nice kind of like, wow, I really know I do want to be here because I've been at this school. I've taught a lot of these kids. I do playground and recess duty and I, I see these kids and yeah. I've gotten to know the teachers and um, the community. So it was it was just a very natural flow for me to go into this position. Of course, after I interviewed and applied and all of those things that everybody does. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I will share that my my school that I'm going to be going to, the teacher is retiring. She's a fantastic teacher. I've known her. We've both known her for a very long time. And um, I'm just really blessed to be able to go into this situation of a teacher who's had a successful program for so long and, you know, be able to honor her legacy, but then also put my own stamp on things. That's definitely my goal. And um, it happens to be my daughter's school. So I never thought I would teach my own kids. Um, That was just not something that it just, it legit logistically didn't seem possible. Um, but my daughter will be a fifth grader next year, so it's the last chance. So I snuck it in at the last minute and she is very excited about this and it's close to home and yeah, it's just a really great situation. I'm just really excited about the opportunity. But because it's my daughter's school, kind of like what you were saying, Tanya, I already had some of those connections. I knew a lot of the staff. Um, And so that really brings us to our first point. When you are looking for a job, when you are seeing what's out there, the importance of making connections ahead of time and that that will lead to a broader range of opportunities. Yes. And as far as um, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have connections to a place that you might be applying, but you really need to be talking to other music teachers and your other other teachers that you know who might know of positions that will be coming up. If you have a music curriculum coordinator or maybe you have a, an arts curriculum coordinator, it's always a good idea to let them know that you are intending to apply mm-hmm. and if they know of places that could be a good fit for you. So you know, it is a little bit sometimes about who you know, not because that's going to get you a job, but that that's where you will get the information from, right? And let's be realistic about how principals, teachers, Uh, curriculum curriculum coordinators, they talk to each other. So a curriculum coordinator might know from a principal, well, this job is going to be coming up, but it's not posted yet. So that kind of networking um, is really important if you uh, happen to be in the district already, or if you happen to be in the same state, maybe you have friends that teach in the district that you're looking to apply to. Um, All of those things they matter. Just putting it out there and letting people know, hey, I'm I'm looking for a position like this and do you know of anything? Yeah. And we've talked so much. I mean, we did a whole podcast about why join, you know, Oak is in particular, but joining, you know, your local and national music education associate, you know, organizations, whether it's AOSA, AOSA uh, or Oak or NAFME, you know, that is a great networking opportunity, you know, locally, but also, you know, nationally across the country. There's usually job boards that are posted within those communities. And just getting to know teachers at conferences and workshops makes a huge difference because then you have people you can reach out to and you can just put feelers out. Hey, I'm interested in a job in your area. Do you know of anything? Um, mm-hmm. And we just had one of our our former uh, CKI Kodai students who lives way out east and she just got a job here in Colorado because of the connections that she's made here in Colorado when she did her Kodai training. So, you know, those things really do make a difference and it's just another reason to reach out and join those organizations. Exactly. Uh, So when you're thinking about all these things, it's a good time to ask for letters of recommendation from um, folks that have seen you teach or folks that um, you have been at the same school um, or you you have a relationship with and ask for references as well and ask for these things as early as possible, even if you think you don't need them. Now, um, yes, I'm going to embarrass myself, Carrie. Uh, (laughs) Because I was applying in the district that I already teach in, uh, when you do the application process online, you don't need letters of recommendation, right? Right. And so um, I thought, okay, well, I, okay, I don't need letters of rec, but I've got these references lined up and they know that I made them a reference and so I'm good to go. Okay, so then I was called in for an interview. And it was mentioned on the phone call when scheduling the interview, oh, please bring your teaching certificate and your letters of recommendation. So, uh-oh. And that was like uh-oh. two days before the interview was going to It was be, two right? days before the yeah. interview. So, um, yeah, I luckily was very lucky to have one, letters of recommend, one letter of recommendation um, from someone who knew better than I, who said, well, I just have this just in case for you. 
And that oh, was nice. great. Yes. Um, and, um, yeah. And then Carrie, I got you to write me a letter of rec. I wrote one. Uh, <laughs> I owe you owe me a coffee now. <laughs> I do. Now I have written you letters of rec. It's true. We're too. even now. Well, yeah, but now then we here's should. one of the great tips because, you know, I did, get a job more recently than Tanya. So I did have my letters of recommendation from the last time I applied, which was six years ago. And I didn't want to just use the same letters. So in that case, if you do have old letters that you want to reuse, but maybe change some things, I mean, it could just be as simple as changing the date, or it could be just updating some of the information as far as like how long you've known each other and things like that. You know, it's perfectly appropriate to reach out to that person and say, hey, I have this letter from you from six years ago. I would like to, yes. you know, use your letter again. Would you be okay with me going in and editing your document and changing the date and some of the logistics? You know, offer that to people. Um, of course, Because yes. most of the time your answer is going to be yes, please, because you're saving them the time. So right. then they'll give you, they'll send you a an editable document so you can do that yourself. So, yes, you know, exactly. save those older letters and then um, just ask permission to to change the dates and things. Exactly. And that's a great idea. As far as a guideline for when to ask, I say, okay, well, I'm asked for a lot of rec letters of recommendation for scholarships, for Kodai training, um, for various things. And boy, when someone asks me in October for something that is due in February, I'm like, oh, wow, they're on top of it. Right? Yeah, right. Yeah. When somebody asks me January 30th, 31st, um, for a letter of rec that's due in the second week of February. I'm a little stressed, but it's I, it's doable. When yeah. somebody asks me, like me, you know, if, if uh, <laughs> I didn't know Carrie well, and I... I you technically didn't ask, I offered, because I knew did. your predicament, so there and you And I go. may have all, oh, all over the place because I, I was so mortified that I was doing the very thing that annoys me. But if someone asks me for a week turnaround, I say no. If yeah. someone asked me for a day, two days turnaround, unless it was somebody that's really, you know, close to me that I, I, I would, I would probably say no. So, so aim for yeah. maybe three weeks is, is probably a good minimum yes, three amount weeks for. or more. You yeah. know, I don't think there's anything as too early. Yeah. Honestly, you know, yeah. um, it's good to have them ready to go. Yeah. Totally, because okay. you never All know right. what opportunities are going to come up, too, and then you, know, you just have them ready to go. So. Exactly. So shall we talk about interview specifics? Like, yeah. okay, you've gotten your application, your letters of rec, or whatever is required, and now you've been offered an interview. Yeah. Which, you know, uh, boy, I tell you what. It had been a long time. I can't, I couldn't believe how nervous I was. Oh, I was super nervous. And I, yes. I've even interviewed more recently. And, and full transparency, I mean, I interviewed for a job last year and didn't get it, you know? So, I mean, these, these things happen and it's not because I'm not a capable teacher because I know that I am. It just wasn't the right fit for that particular school. And I respect that decision. So I just want to say that too, that don't get down. If you have an interview and, and you don't get it, that's okay too. And we've all been through it. It doesn't feel good. It never does. But, um, here are just some things, though, to help you be more successful. <laughs> so first of all, researching, research, research. Oh, we talk about research so much on this podcast. Oh, yes, we do. Make sure you know about the school you are going to. Um, research their mission and vision statements, their demographics, and look at their social media content because that's going to tell you a lot about that school and what is going on there. And really think about how your philosophy is going to be in line with theirs. Yes. Um, I even printed out one of the, uh, the schools that I was looking at. I printed out a, a mission and vision like directly from their website and stuck it in my teaching portfolio. Well, so, you know, go. when you yeah. arrive at the interview 15 minutes early, they let you look at the questions. Most of the time, that's a standard practice. And so I had it like tucked in my teaching portfolio so I could refer to it while I was taking notes to prepare for these specific interview questions because yes. I knew I wasn't going to remember everything off the top of my head. So I had some things printed out, tucked in my portfolio, ready to go that I could pull out and refer to preparing for the interview. I didn't do yes. it in the actual interview, but when I was preparing for it. And then when you're on their social media, it's a great idea to really 
look at several of their pages. I think it's really helpful to look at their calendar and uh -huh. see the kind of school events that have been happening. You can see the things that they value, the things that they're focused on. Um, you find out a lot of things when you look at classroom teacher pages like yeah. third grade and they maybe they talk a lot about project-based learning and so all of these things really go into giving you that full profile of the school that you're interviewing for yeah um, and knowing those things and thinking about okay how could i fit into this what would it look like if i'm teaching at this school that does a lot of pbl what, what mm -hmm. would it look like you know, if they have a GT program, oh, what experiences can you bring to the table? Can you mention specific things that you've done with GT students, for example? Right. So yeah, digging into that social media and also check and see if they have a Facebook page because you'll uh -huh. see some things on the Facebook page um, that you might not see on the web page, like right. fundraiser nights at restaurants and, and just little things that let you know about the general atmosphere of that yeah. school and pto pta pages too if they have a parent organization sometimes they have a separate page um, either a separate facebook page or a separate page on the website definitely look at that too because then you can see what the parents value what the families value and then that will, might lead you to um, speak to different things in your interview as well yes we are in the age of stalking so stalk. <laughs> yeah right this stalk is a good time to stalk <laughs> All right. So within when you're in the interview, and we'll yeah. talk about some, some specific interview questions in just a minute, but uh, when you can, give specific examples, right? Mm -hmm. So if you are asked, um, tell us about your classroom management, you're going to want to list specific rules that you have in class or specific expectation and responsibilities and what happens when kids are doing awesome. And if you have some kind of point system, reward system, um, things that you've done. The more specific you are to illustrate what it is you're trying to get across, the more memorable it is and the more real it is. Yeah. And if you have less experience, then think about, okay, well, let's say, uh, what would I do? And, and get specific with that. Like if someone asks, tell us how you might collaborate um, with a classroom teacher to do a performance based on something in science, maybe you've never done that, but can you think of some specifics that you might be able to do? Yeah. Yeah. And if you are, I mean, really just fresh out of student teaching and you don't have your own teaching experience yet, definitely talk about what you did during your student teaching experience. Don't talk about, well, my cooperating teacher did this, my cooperating or, you know, my mentor teacher did that. Talk about what you did because you did do things during student teaching. You were obviously there. Um, so, you know, really still speak to what you do and what your strengths are and, you know, not just make it be all about how you shadowed and helped, you know, talk about right. the things that you did independently. Yes. And with all this, say all those things, but also keep it brief. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's really the hard thing. Tanya and I both laughed and giggled after our interviews because we both talk. I mean, here we are on a podcast. So I know when I get nervous, I tend to ramble. So um, that's something that I know I was right to the edge of my time and in, in my interview. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Just don't go over time. <laughs> right. Well, and it's hard to know because um, the way that interviews work uh, in our district, and I've been on several interview committees, is that um, the people, the teachers there, the principal, whoever is there in the interview committee, they take turns asking questions, and then they just listen, but they don't interject. They don't ask follow-up questions. Right. And so you decide when you're done answering that question. Yeah. And a lot of times, um, in fact, I think almost every time, uh, they tell you we have this much time for the interview, like 30 minutes, and we'll let you know, we have a timekeeper, we'll let you know when we have five minutes left. Yeah. We'll let you know when we have two minutes left. Yeah. So really you've got to, you have, you've got to judge on, okay, have I answered this question? Am I done now? Yeah. 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 
Yeah. And then after the interview, um, I think it's always nice to write some sort of a follow up email. You know, back in the day, I remember I was always told to write a letter, but there's no time for that anymore. It needs to be an email to the principal thanking them for the opportunity to interview there, depending on how fast they make the decision and how hear you how fast you hear back. You might not have time for that. But um, yeah. when I went home after my interview, I just immediately emailed the principal right away and just said, thank you for the opportunity. It was great to get to know you, you know, and just keep it brief. But I think it's always a nice touch to to follow up after the interview. Yes. Yeah. And it's not hard. It's just, like you said, keep it brief. Yeah. Okay. So we were going to mention some specific kind of common interview questions. I mean, Tanya and I both have been on interview committees and now we've gone through our interviews. I mean, there are definitely some that are standard and it's good to kind of think ahead about how you are going to answer those questions. So starting with the classic why are you here and who are you question, which is usually phrased along the lines of why do you think you'd be a good fit for our school? Tell us about your experience in education. Yes. And that's back where, you know, you talk about, well, I, uh, you, a little bit about yourself, maybe um, your instrument, maybe some philosophies, like I'm primarily, primarily a Kodai teacher. Um, I also believe in using um, active music making and movement. Um, I know this school would be a great fit because of, I know this school values X, Y, Z, and that fits in with my mission because my aim is to have all students, you know, whatever. You connect the dots. So you connect, here's how I know your school. Here's what I know of your school. Here's me. And here's how I would be a wonderful fit right here. So yeah. you tell them all those things. Right. And honestly, before my interview, I sat down and I wrote up questions and then I typed up answers and I just read through them. I um, interview myself in the shower and in the car <laughs> yeah. because, um, yeah, I – I'm a stronger writer than I am speaker generally. And so for me, I needed the practice of actually saying it out loud. And I kind of had like my opening sentence and statement that I was ready to say and then kind of how I was going to close that sentence. And then it kind of flowed in between. But, um, you know, succinctly summarizing my experience and how I would be good for the fit for the school was definitely something that I practiced speaking out loud to myself. Yes. Yes. Me, well. me too. Yeah, on the car ride over, I did give myself a little, like, talk through. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Classroom management. This, I think, comes up almost every single time. Oh, yeah. Tell us your philosophy of classroom management and um, what you do to make sure students are successful learners. Yeah. Yeah, they want to know about your systems and that you have a system. And, again, this is where if you have – you know, done your research on the school and you know that, hey, this school is really into restorative practices and you have experience with that, then definitely talk about it. And if you know this school is really into restorative practices, but you haven't had experience, you could still mention that that's something you want to um, learn more about and incorporate more into your classroom. But here's what I've been doing thus far. Um, yeah, just what's your system? And you don't have to go into great detail, but just that you have one and that you're consistent with it, I think is really what, what people are he wanting to hear the most. Exactly. And I and think in a situation like in the music room, what a lot of times uh, folks want to hear, principals want to hear is that you're going to be consistent with, you know, classroom teachers as well, and that you're going to be um, willing to communicate with families and parents on your own. Basically, you're not going to expect administration to solve all your problems for you. How are you going to yeah. be proactive to deal with situations in the music room yourself um, before calling the office for help? <laughs> Yes, exactly. And along those lines, you might be asked about, tell us about a time where you solved a challenging discipline problem or yeah. a behavior problem in your classroom. And again, that's where you can get specific and say, oh, well, I did have, um, in fact, I think I mentioned this in my interview. I talked about, oh, I had a um, new to me, a new to the school student who was very withdrawn and reluctant to participate and would give me one word answers almost to the point of seeming disrespectful. Mm -hmm. I talked one-on-one -on -one with the student and I found out what was happening um, at home. Of course, they were new to the school, so they're feeling very insecure. And after talking to the student, we developed 
a system where when they needed to have some refocusing time, we agreed on a signal they would give me. And then I would just give them a nod and they would. So I talked about how, oh, I talked one-on-one -on -one with a student. I made sure we made a connection. I built a relationship with that student. I learned not to take it personally because they had these other things going on in their life and, and you know, that kind of thing. So yeah. do get specific uh -huh. um, and, and talk about something that you've honestly been through. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, another common question is about your personal teaching philosophy or your vision statement. You know, um, this is where if you are trained in a certain area, like Tanya and I's Kodai Inspired Educators can really speak to that a little bit more. Um, this is something that I definitely suggest having uh, written out and typed up. And I actually have copies of my teaching philosophy kind of fleshed out. It's a one page thing. It's like three main sections. And then underneath each one is a small paragraph highlighting some examples of how I carry that philosophy out. But um, I, I keep copies of that in my teaching portfolio. So when I was in the interview and was asked that question, you know, I could speak to it briefly. But then I said, I do have a copy of my teaching philosophy if you want to check it out later and then offered it to them. And if they say yes, and you can give them a copy of it. If they say no, that's fine. But this is something that I think is just good practice to, to type out and kind of know for yourself anyway. And that's an excellent idea, Carrie, because I, I was not as um, detailed as you with writing a one page paper. And I didn't have that to offer anybody, but I did write it down. I mean, and it's something that off the top of my head, I usually can say, but you know, you get nervous and you forget all the things. Exactly. Um, and so when asked, I just said, I believe music is for everyone. Everyone has innate musical um, musicality within them. Everyone should be musical and deserves to be fulfilled musically. I believe in active music making is the best way to teach music. And I believe everything should be developmentally appropriate for students to really be able to be their best musical selves. And that was it. Those are my three points exactly, too, in, in, in that order, which is so funny. Well, um, it's yeah. the code I am. I mean, it is the code I weigh, for sure. Um, but yeah, definitely, I mean, just for your own practice, it's good that to, to have it, you know, kind of in your head, but also flushed out a little bit. Have it, you know, in an elevator speech, you know, format where you can just rattle it off the top of your head quickly, but then also have it a little bit more flushed out. And again, that's great for interviews. It's great for parents, if parents or families call and say, you know, what's going on in your music class that you're like, oh, we played recorder today. You know, like you have more of like the bigger, the bigger long-term idea of what's going on in your classroom. Even those of us who have been teaching a long time, it's good to review that. And I've changed mine up. I mean, I've changed up some of the specifics in mine, especially highlighting inclusion a lot more and, and diversity a lot more. So, oh, yeah. you know, it's yes. just good to, to revisit it and make sure that it's current too. Exactly. Well, okay. So... Um, here's some just other things that are just happen along the way. Uh, if you are in a current teaching position and you are deciding to interview, um, this is something that I, I had to think through. Um, and it, it wasn't, it wasn't hard to do things in the right order, but it's worth talking about that you should be informing necessary parties to what your intentions are in the correct order. So for example, because I was applying for a job at a school that I'm already teaching at somewhat, um, I thought before anybody else, I need to let my current principal at my home school know my intentions. Yeah. Right. Um, just so, and, and understand, let it be known that this is not about this school that I've been at for 24 years. This is about, what this position, um, how it's become a traveling position. And I really want to build a program at one school. hundred percent. Right? And next was my team. Um, my art teacher and my PE teacher. Well, honestly, my, my art teacher, he was before everybody else. Cause he happens to be my husband. So <laughs> he different. needed to know before everybody. Yeah. You know, uh, but then my principal, um, and then my PE teacher, and then I um, talked with the music teacher at the school that I was going to be applying at because I wanted to make sure that person knew my intentions. Yeah. And then I went to the administration of my traveling school and said, 
hey, I'm aware that this position is going to be coming up. I'm interested. Mm -hmm. And then I know I let the um, PE and the art teacher at my traveling school know my intentions. And during all this time, um, I did not talk to uh, families of students, students, other teachers in my school, because I just needed the people who had to know yeah. that it directly affected. Those are the people who needed to know and in that order. 100%. Yeah, yeah. same for and, me. And I think that if you, I mean, it's not that it would be a catastrophe necessarily, but um, you just really want to think about, okay, so if I, um, if I were the principal, what would I want, right? Mm -hmm. What's, who, who should know first? Because just expect once somebody knows, um, there's the people that are close to them are going to know as well, right? Right. So this is why I, I wouldn't want to let my AMP team know before the principal. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, anyway. yeah, and I know if uh, it feels a little weird to talk to your current principal and tell them that you're applying and looking elsewhere, that's that's not an easy conversation to have, especially depending on the relationship that you have with that person. But the reality is that's the first person that's going to be called <laughs> and exactly. they're going to be called probably even to decide if you're going to get an interview and then they'll be called again after the interview if you're one of their top candidates and then right. that's going to be a longer conversation. So whether was, or not you put them as a reference, they will be called. Yeah, especially if you are applying for a job within the district, <laughs> within the district you're in now. I mean, that's going to be a quick email that will happen immediately. So yeah, it's just, it's an inevitable part of the process. Again, just be honest about your intentions. Um, I was fortunate that my, my principal, and I know Tanya the same, was just very supportive and understanding of the situation, knowing that it was a one school position. And he even reached out and, and emailed the principal of the school I was interviewing at on my behalf without me asking him to, which was really, really kind. Yes, and, that's and excellent. Great. So, um, which also kind of brings up something that I wanted to mention, too, that you know, when, when I started having this traveling position, you know, and this was also, of course, in the 2020 school year when, you know, things were crazy anyways, and I was just really not happy about it and not at anyone's, anyone's fault, you know, and I really felt like when I went to my traveling school, it really would have been easy to kind of phone it in. It really would have been easy to just kind of not try hard there. I know that sounds horrible, but that's the reality of it. And what I was surprised about was the school where I'm I'm going to be at next year. They not only reached out to my homeschool principal, they reached out to my traveling school principal too. Mm -hmm. And that really reminded me the importance of integrity and doing your job. And I mean, and I have been, I'm, and I'm, I'm not saying that I haven't been. Um, but I think, you know, anyone that, that sees your work has a say. And so we just need to always be mindful that you're always on and there's never a time where you can just phone it in and not care anymore. If you do intend on getting another job someday, you know, if you are going to leave the profession entirely, that's different. But if you want to continue teaching, even if it's in another district, you know, you need to always be showing that integrity and working your best because you never know who they're going to call. I totally agree. And you and I have talked a lot about this idea off mic and, um, and how important it is. And I mean, hopefully you don't need to hear this from us, but the reasons that you are doing your best work wherever you are is not to get that next job, but because the students in front of you deserve it. Exactly. Exactly. No it's not their <laughs> fault. It's not that second grader's fault that you're at a traveling school and you didn't right. want to be. It's not that second grader's fault that you had a bad night and couldn't get to sleep. I mean, I understand we have some times where we're you know, better prepared or more on top of things and teaching better on some days than others. But yeah, when you go and you are teaching music, I, and I always think it's for, it's for these students, yeah. right? Whatever we're doing right now makes a difference. We're putting those coins in the bank, right? Yeah. For that payoff and the payoff you'll never see, but just you are planting seeds mm -hmm. and you know that this is going to be part of like you're you're helping build character yeah. in these students yeah um, and i often also 
I think about that, but I also think about just the good of music education as a whole. And I know it sounds sappy or whatever, and there's nobody, there's nobody to account to, there's nobody watching over any of us music teachers, but I often think of, you know what, I respect my profession mm -hmm. and that's why I'm a music teacher because I really believe that this is the most important job in the world. Yeah. And because of that, I want to have a good name for music teachers. I want to represent, right? And I want people to think of people that I've taught. I want them to think, oh, my music teacher show, oh, like turned me on to music in this way. And it was so amazing. I want to make sure that the reputation of elementary music teachers is an awesome one. I want yeah. to be one of the awesome ones. Um, and I just feel like I was called to the profession and I don't mean to be all whatever um, strange and spiritual about it. But I mean, I really feel like this is what I'm meant to do. This is my calling. And therefore, I need to uphold this reputation and, and the respect of music education as a whole. Totally. Now it is time for our Know Better, Do Better segment where we talk about a practice or maybe some literature, just something we've been rethinking its use in our classroom or just other topics related to diversity, inclusion, and things of that nature. So Tanya, what would yes. you like to talk about? Okay, so I would like to talk um, generally about songs with a questionable past but specifically about a specific list called Songs with a Questionable Past. And this was Lauren McDougall who put this together and it's very extensive and it's wonderful that Lauren did research and included this. And I know lots of people have seen this list. Now, here's the thing. This list has um, songs that are problematic not all the problematic, uh, excuse me, it's divided up not just uh, with songs that are problematic because of race, but also um, questionable origins or authenticity or uh, songs of a sexual nature. Um, but so in this last list, at the top of this list, um, Lauren writes extensively about the list and her thoughts on it. So I'm going to read you the first paragraph because this is something that I think a lot of people don't necessarily read all the way through and they just go for the list and they go, okay, here's the song I'm wondering about. Oh no, is it on the list? Oh, no fly zone. Anything on the list is out because you need to know what exactly it is about the song that you um, are not wanting and you need to be thoughtful about the repertoire you choose. Okay, so here I go. I'm going to read this. Um, thank you, Lauren. Do the best you can until you know better. Then when you know better, do better. Maya Angelou. Our purpose as music educators is to find what is truly best for the child. The songs and music in our everyday lives should exalt the human spirit. Truly timeless songs can cross cultural and generational divides. This is a list of songs that are part of our past and for one reason or another may now be questionable for people to sing in the 21st century. Digital libraries and collections are more prolific now and many of these resources and historical insights are available to the masses for the first time. So if you've ever taught a song on this list that may now be considered questionable, know that the love in your heart is not any less bright. Educators should avoid celebrating art that will hurt people living today. That is not to say that we ignore history's uncomfortable moments, but we must diligently help our students become musical and global citizens. Some of these songs may stay on repertoire lists, but now with added context and history. Other songs, because of their context and history, may not align with today's cultural norms and values. Trust your heart and treasure your students first. Then use your knowledge and judgment to make an inclusive and informed pedagogical decision. Lauren yes. McDougall. <laughs> All right. I appreciate this so much because this is the heart of this list. Mm -hmm. 
Lauren never says, don't do the songs in this list. Right. Lauren says, know your songs. Treasure your children first. Know the songs that you are teaching them. Don't get hung up about maybe you've taught something in the past that you wish you hadn't. Uh, but I really think it all points to know the music that you are doing in the room. Yeah, in your and music the, room. the beauty of the list isn't the list itself. It's the research contained within the list, which isn't even all-encompassing. But for yes. every single song that's in the list, there are multiple articles and, and hyperlinks and all things that you can click on because then you need to make the informed decision about whether or not that song belongs in your classroom. So yeah, I mean, the document itself, like you missed that, Tanya, it's not a no fly, this song can't be in my classroom because it's on the list. It's here is something to think about and consider, and here is all the research that's gonna help you make that decision. Right, and I, I'm the first to say that um, there are some songs, I'm looking at one right now in the list of alphabetical order um, that I, I will teach still. I'm, yeah. I'm looking at the Star Spangled Banner is in here. I'm teaching that this week. My students are singing it at um, Colorado Rockies baseball game. Right. Right. Uh, it's interesting to look up why it's on this list for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't, this list is not, I will never do these songs or I don't do all of these songs. You really need to know. So it's just another plug again to do your research um, so that you understand exactly what it is you are perpetuating and passing on. And now it's time for a work smarter, not harder teacher tip from Carrie. Hey, exciting news. Drum roll. Are you ready? <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to drum roll, but yes. <laughs> You can schedule to multiple classes in Google Classroom now. I did not know. <gasps> That's awesome. Finally. Of oh, my. Like a couple weeks ago, like mid-March, I think they added this feature. So if you're a Google Classroom user, just to summarize what we're talking about here, um, you know, in the past, you could schedule an activity to drop in a classroom on a certain day, but you couldn't do it to multiple classrooms at the same time. You could assign an assignment or a material or whatever to multiple classes at the same time and it would drop immediately. Or you could schedule it ahead of time, but you had to do that to each class one at a time. And it was just an annoying extra step. So Oh my, yes, it was. Finally, yeah. yeah mm -hmm. The Google folks have listened. And so now when you go to schedule to multiple classes, so you, if you have your activity, you click on the classes that you want to schedule it to, and then you click schedule, and this little pop-up window will come up. And so for every class, there's a tiny, there's three tiny drop-down menus of when you want the due date to be, when you want the post date to be, and what topic or, you know, category do you want the assignment to live under within each of those classrooms. And you can copy the same settings to multiple classes with the click of a button or you can put different settings so this class I wanted to drop on Monday and this class I wanted to drop on Tuesday but you can do all of that in the same little pop-up menu it's fantastic oh my uh, finally yes yeah big time saver so now it's our coda section where we each have a personal or a professional recommendation of something we've been enjoying, want to share with the world. So Tanya. <laughs> As if like no one else has ever heard of these things until no, we promote them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what you love in these days. <laughs> okay. I'm going to go with something school related this time. Um, you know the John Fire Robin picture books. Of course we do. We yeah. all do. And he doesn't need me to promote him, but I'm going to anyway. Because um, I've had, there's a hole in the, in, a, in the bucket, that particular picture book. And I, I'm sorry, I don't have it in front of me, so I can't tell you who illustrated it. Illustrated it but um, I, this is the time of year where I read this book. And I tell you what, 
this is a, this is a circle song because it starts with "There's a hole in the bucket, dear Liza." I'm singing really low. That's really low. I, w- I was listening to Harry Belafonte for a second. Oh, okay, so that's why. Um, uh, so it's a circle song. It goes, and the very end is the very beginning again. You could sing it over and over again. Uh, it's the song that never ends. Um, but second grade. That is the sweet spot for this song and this book, because this is the age where they are just beginning to understand, like, irony. Right. And it's great. And they think this is hilarious. My second graders today, I was, it was a blast. They were so amused uh, with this song. So we read the book today, and tomorrow we'll be watching the Harry Belafonte uh, video with Harry Belafonte and Odetta, which is just excellent. I, I grew up with a lot of Harry Belafonte, so I'm a big Harry Belafonte fan. And if there's any kind of tie-in to Harry Belafonte, I'm bringing it out. So I, I'm i loving this song, this book, this video. It's a good time. Second grade, love it. I am I think I'm also going to do it with third grade this week, actually. That's awesome. So say, there you go. I will link to the book and all that in the show notes. So Totally. If you're interested, you go there. Um, I'm going to recommend something personal that has nothing to do with school, although it could if you wanted to go there. Um, I, I probably have mentioned this show before, but the second season is out on Netflix of Getting Organized with the Home oh, Edit. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I, I binged, like, the whole thing in, like, two days. I I just love me some good organization and oh my gosh just sitting and watching these ladies organize people's mess it it brings me calm it also brings me the slight stress like well now I just want to get up and organize something no it brings me a lot of stress and so know yourself I, I love know. watching it I think it's um, fascinating but after the first ten minutes I'm like oh no my life is in shambles yeah and because after I don't I watch- have a color coded closet right after i watched the first season i went out and bought a bunch of containers and totally organized my pantry of course you say i will never say oh sorry i accidentally clicked on it so now it's making noises um nothing in my life is as beautiful as the way they do it it's a very realistic version of what they do um because you know i mean i just can't afford to buy all these containers and that is their job and you have a job your job is not to color code and one thing i will say and i will argue against you know not that they're listening to this podcast but oh my gosh the organizing your books in rainbow order i will never understand that how am i ever going to remember the spine color of a book i there's no way my books are organized fiction non-fiction by author by category of nonfiction, like my music ed books are together. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's just, it just doesn't make sense to me. So no, that is no. one thing I will say, uh-uh, no, not happening. No, and whenever um, I see that, I think, here's a person that doesn't read their books. Exactly. That if you just can look do pretty. that, you know, no. No, no. Um, I mean, maybe like children's picture books, maybe I could no. see. Like not board books, that. like big, thick board books, maybe. No, no. Uh, <laughs> Not even that. But everything else, the pantry organization, the office organization, I mean, I've definitely taken some ideas into the classroom as well. So if you're like me and you like to watch other people organize and get some ideas, it's, you know, get organized, the home edit on Netflix. I love it. Good times. We've reached the double bar line. Thank you for listening to Music Teacher Coffee Talk. Show notes can be found at musicteachercoffeetalkpodcast.com. You can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Just look for Music Teacher Coffee Talk. If you enjoyed this show, please consider subscribing, rating, and leaving us a review on iTunes to help others find this podcast. And we always appreciate folks buying us a coffee, so look for that link on our show notes and on our Facebook page. Until next time, this is Carrie. And this is Tanya wishing you happy music, Kings.